0: So, thank you for being here. Uh, Welcome back. Today, I think it's good to say the date, is Wednesday, August 12, 2020. Episode 44 of the uh, Sutta Nipata. We're moving right along in Chapter 3, which is called Mahavaga, the Great Chapter. Maha means great, like Mahatma, meaning great Atman or great soul, like Gandhi. Today... Uh, SN 3.6 Sutta Nipata Chapter 3 Mahavaga Sutta 6 Sabhya Sutta Uh, Sabhya is the name of another Brahmin we're (laughs) in multiple suttas here uh, being given teachings of Gautama to local Brahmins who generally are interested to see what he has to say and he clarifies in this sutta Uh, a guy who seems to endlessly ask questions. (laughs) Uh, The write-up from Tanasaro on the basic Sutta Napata page is a sutta dating from early in the Buddha's teaching career. A wanderer, disappointed in the teachings he's received from other teachers, approaches the Buddha with his questions. And his name is Sabhya. Now, looking at other sources... Uh, for backstory, uh, I found a book from 1949 that was a translation from someone named J.J. J. Jones, 1949, right, so we're talking about 70 years ago, uh, called Mahavashtu. Maha, again, great. Vashtu is story or tale. The great tale, the great story, Mahavashtu. Uh, I want to read a little bit about the book and then give the backstory, and then read the Sutta. And this will take a few weeks, two or three maybe, because Sabhya Sutta is basically Sabhya uh, asking um, five sets of four questions. (laughs) He's just really a, Buddha was very patient with him. I couldn't be that patient myself. He just went on and on and on and on and on. He basically asked 20 questions. And Gautama's answers give us 20 qualities of, um, and I, uh, of ideal spiritual attainment and development. So it, like I said last time, looking at other suttas like, um, uh, Sundaraka, Bharadvaja and the last one, what was the last one? I should not close my links. Uh, the last one being uh, Mala Sutta, where Maga asked qualities, asked Gautama, what are the qualities of of an ideal yogin to whom I should give sacrifice? Here it is, uh, what are the qualities of uh, great attainment? That's what Sabya is asking Gautama. Now, when we look at the other source of the backstory, Mahavashtu, uh the core of the text can be fixed at least to the second century bc so it's a this is the text of the backstory that i'm going to use although the mahasangika school existed as early as fourth century bc and so the mahavashtu text there's a nice helicopter the maha text came from the mahasangika school Sanghika means Sangha, uh, the, the Sangha community. And so there were some splits in the community. Obviously, it happens right soon after or in the centuries after Gautama's death. One of them, or I think the major, I'm not sure, but I didn't look into the Mahasanghika school. But this text, although it's second century BC, meaning a few hundred years after Gautama, came from a sect that that uh, developed in the Theravadan, you know, the, the northern India Buddhist... Sangha, uh, uh, maybe a hundred years after Gautama's passing they put together this Mahasangika the write-up includes the the English translation of Mahavashtu from Mr. Jones one of the important and monumental canonical works of the Mahasangika school of early Buddhism a precursor of the Mahayana tradition and uh, it gets into some fancifulness so as we would expect from Mahayana Final point. The Mahavastu contains three sections narrating the former lives of the Buddha full of instructive stories and jatakas and avadanas. And so uh, fancifulness <laughs> has come in in the centuries after Gautama's passing. And it is an interesting story. or, or there, Mahavastu is a huge book and it's uh, 502,000 words. And it's basically... Uh, Forty-six chapters, stories of different monks and Gautama's past lives, and higher dimensions, and uh, beings in other realms, visits to other worlds. Chapter three is uh, visits to other worlds, and that you know might be interesting. The translation here is a little antiquated. A lot of words of thou and thou and thus and doth and uh, you know sounds like the old Bible. So, I'm not going to read his translation of the sutta. I'm going to go back to Thanissaro's translation. But I will read the questions of Sabika, which is Sabiya, same, from Mr. Jones' write up in a translation of Mahavashtu. This was chapter 38, the questions of Sabika. And it basically goes back to the parents <laughs> of Sabika. Uh, their previous, their lives, before he was even born. So, now that may be unimportant, um, but I think it's, uh, you know, part of what we're doing here, what I like, is a telling story, you know, fire fireside chat, or uh, campfire stories. And I think it's just interesting to see this is, uh, this is where some of the Buddhist Sangha was directing attention, 22 centuries, 23, 4 centuries ago, um, 2nd century, 4th century BC, meaning before Yeshua. So it's over 2,000 years, but it's not straight from the Sutta. It's the backstory. Uh, It may be fanciful, but it is interesting. And so I hope it's interesting. I'll read through it. Questions of Sabika, chapter 38 of Mahabhashya translated by J.J. Uh, J. Jones, goes on, The exalted one, perfectly enlightened, and having attained the goal he had set himself, was staying in Banaras, in the deer park at Rishi Vanna, Rishi means uh, the Rishis, like Rishikesh, the sages or yogins, teaching devas and men and so on. Uh, but this is uh, a previous Buddha. Now in Mathura there lived a guild president. He was rich and wealthy, having great possessions and property, money, treasuries and granaries, abundance of gold and silver and other resources, a large number of elephants, horses, goats and sheep, female and male slaves and men servants. To this guild president was born a daughter, one of triplets. Considering that she was unlucky he dedicated her to a religious life. This is actually Sabia's mother before she became his mother. And when she had grown up, he bade the nurse take her away from home and you will be given a salary for a nurse had been given her who brought up the young girl and all whose expenses were paid by the guild president. So the guild president is Sabica's grandfather. But it is an interesting thing that People who are really well developed did a lot of work in past lives. And so Sabika is coming from a family where his parents both were um, great um, religious uh, scholars and teachers. So, his mother. The young girl grew up like a blue, red, or white lotus. And when she had reached years of discretion, she took up the religious life of a wanderer. Now, that that's a term that you'll see later. It doesn't mean... E.T. but it could be but it's a certain kind of a like a like a ronin like a ronin as a masterless samurai uh I forgot the term it's pabajaka, pabajaka or something you'll see it later uh this wanderer is not particularly affiliated with one sect kind of like a uh a free a, a, a free agent in baseball <laughs> kind of go in their own way and learning where they can, and teaching as they can, and maybe even collecting followers or not. So she was. Uh, she took up that type of religious life. She was trained as a seer, and she mastered all the lore of the wanderers. She used to hold debate with one or another of the female wanderers, but none had a wider understanding than she. Thus she came to have the highest reputation for eloquence and for proficiency in all branches of learning. So we can, so it's shallow-minded to say, oh, everybody—they were all misogynistic back then. No, there was misogyny, as far as I can tell, and yet she had high reputation for learning and um, teaching. So things are more nuanced than than uh, uh, dogmatists uh, indicate. So be careful. There was misogyny, just like racism and all that and yet it's not um blanket and um this, the truth is much more subtle and nuanced than many people think so she had the highest reputation and now there was a certain Brahmin who was also proficient who was proficient in the vedas and master of all branches of learning adept in exposition and eloquent of speech he came to Mathura, meaning the north from the south country He entered Matara with a copper vessel tied to his side, in which he carried a large flaming torch. In the marketplace, in the center of the city, he made this announcement. Is there anyone here skilled in words who will have a debate with me? The people of Matara said to him, put out that torch. We have here a female wanderer who is young, of tender years. She will debate with you on the seventh day from this. If that is, you will be able to hold debate with her. So eloquent is she. He replied, ''So be it. In seven days I will hold a debate with this female wanderer, and you, sirs, must attend.'' Then the townsmen of Mathura and the people of the surrounding district summoned the female wanderer and said to her, ''A Brahmin from the south country has come who is eloquent, proficient in the Vedas, and eager to talk on matters of exposition. Can you hold a debate with him in seven days' time?'' She replied, I am well able to hold a debate with this or any other Brahmin. I, too, am eager to speak. So she's quite confident and quite capable. When the townsmen of Matara heard the female wanderer, bells were rung in the town at the crossroads, at street entrances and other places for making proclamations. And an announcement was made that the female wanderer would on the seventh day hold a debate with an eloquent Brahmin from the south country. All who wished to listen were to come. Platforms were set up around a stage. And when they heard of this, a great great crowd of the country people came to Mathura. They were bust in. And so, (laughs) that's a pretty high-end civilization or local culture where they listened to religious debate for seven days uh, as a town in the town square. Then the Brahmin thought, what sort of wanderer is she who's going to debate with me? What if I were to have a look at her? So, out of curiosity, he went to the dwelling of the wanderers to make inquiries. When he got there, he asked, Who is this wanderer who is going to debate in public with the Brahmin, meaning himself, from the South Country? Meaning he probably didn't tell them. Those whom he he asked pointed out the wanderer to him sitting in her own cell, and reciting in a clear voice and with concentration. The Brahmin approached the wanderer and asked her, Lady, is it you who are going to debate with me in public? She replied, Certainly. With "'What doubt can there be? "'I will debate in public with you "'or with any other believer.' "'Now, the Brahmin, the man, "'was young and handsome, "'and the female wanderer was young and handsome too, "'and they fell completely in love with each other "'at first sight. "'The Brahmin said to the female wanderer, "'Lady, I am in love with you.' "'She replied, and I am in love with you.' "'But that was it. "'He said, so, since it is so, lady, "'let us so arrange that we meet "'without anyone else knowing.' we will come to an understanding before we debate in public. The one who is defeated must become the pupil of the other. There will be nothing strange in the woman being defeated by the man. That's the misogyny. But if you, a woman, defeat me, I shall be reviled and despised by the whole crowd. People will say to me, you were defeated by a mere woman's two-inch wit. Two-inch wit. (laughs) The note on this, it's very funny. It's also called two-finger wit, meaning mind. The commentary said, it refers to the feminine habit of taking grains of rice between two fingers to see if the rice is cooked enough. Okay, so two-inch wit is two-finger mentality. So, lady, arrange it that I defeat you there. Then you will become my pupil, and we can meet each other, and no one will know of it. The female wanderer said, so be it. She loved him, he loved her, so she said, okay, I'll play the game. And the Brahmin, having made this plan with her, went away. Then on the seventh day, many thousands of people gra- gathered in the square arena. The king of Matara came, and the princes and counselors, the townsmen with the treasurer at their head, the community of traders with the chief merchant at their head, and the college of Brahmins with the king's chaplain at their head, meaning the top abbot. Chaplain is, because this was translated in 49. The members of the 18 guilds came, and recluses, Brahmins, and heretical teachers. (laughs) The Charvakas were there. The Brahmin, too, came, and the female wanderer, accompanied by several other female wanderers, and when they had come into the middle of the throng, they sat down on their seats. The Brahmin stood up and made an announcement to the king and the crowd and said, Gentlemen, we do a stupid and insensate thing when we enter enter into a debate with women. It would not be strange if I were to to defeat this female wanderer. Men would only say, What is there wonderful in a woman being defeated by a man? But if the female wanderer were to defeat me, then I should be reviled and despised by the whole crowd. And men would say to me, You've been defeated by a mere woman's two-inch wit. So I make this announcement before the king and the crowd, If this female wanderer can defeat me in the presence of this crowd, then I shall be bound to become her pupil while if I defeat her, she must become mine. So there was a lot of uh, (laughs) male-female challenge or conflict in those days as well. Meanwhile, they could appreciate her, um, her high level of development. So it's pretty nuanced. The assembly asked the female wanderer, what do you think of what this Brahmin says? And she replied, let it be as he says. When this agreement had been made by the Brahmin, he handed over his staff to the female wanderer, and she in turn took off her cloak and gave it to the Brahmin as a mark of participating in the agreement. And so they spent that day in making statement and counterstatement, but neither was able to defeat the other. And as that day, so the whole week went by. Men who came home so very late from the meeting were asked by their womenfolk, How is it that you are so late today and all the week as well? Are you playing around at the pub? They replied, Do you not know the reason why we are so late? There's a Brahmin here who's come from the South Country. He's proficient in the six Vedangas, adept in all the lore and in exposition. He's been debating a whole week with the female wanderer, but he cannot defeat her. The women said to their husbands, You see, then, how clever women are? What man is there who can excel a woman in intelligence and in discussion? The men thought, "Hmm, If that Brahmin be in any way defeated by that female wanderer, then for all time the women will despise us and think us not worth a straw the majority of the whole city became favorable to the male wanderer rather than to the female so (laughs) you've got uh sexist or uh what prejudice prejudicial perspectives from the collective of the men and the collective of the women and in the individual marriages and uh, even between the brahmin debater and um his beloved. So, there you go. On the next day, when the crowd came together, the Brahmin made a reply to the female wanderer, and she willfully restrained or refrained from countering it. Then the crowd shouted, Hurrah! The victory is the Brahmin's. The female wanderer is beaten. Whew! The Brahmin made her raise up his staff and hold his sunshade and shoes. She doth revealed herself in the eyes of the crowd to be in the state of pupilages. Pupilage, meaning she was his pupil. The Brahmin went to the dwelling place of the female wanderer, and there they lived together to their mutual pleasure. As a result of frequent intercourse, the female wanderer became pregnant. They then left Mathura and went traveling through the provinces of the south country. After nine or ten months, they came to Sveta-Valaka, sveta where they lodged for the night. In the inn there, the female wanderer was delivered, and a boy was born, who was lovely, handsome, possessing the flower of perfect beauty. As the boy had been born in an inn, they gave him the name Sabika. The young Brahman was brought up by his parents. When in due course he had reached years of discretion, he was taught writing, numeration, mnemonics, and mathematics. He was taught all the lore of a wanderer, and became an eloquent preacher. He sailed over the ocean as he sought for a wise man in one who was not wise. And the note on that is also a Buddha in one who was not a Buddha. (laughs) So uh, much of our problem in um, remaining confused, if we remain confused, or when we're confused, is that we've been seeking wisdom where it isn't, or seeking guidance from one who cannot. And so, uh, search and you'll find, but you've got to keep searching. And like Heraclitus said, one who um, seeks wisdom must be like the one who uh, seeking gold digs up a lot of dirt. One must dig up a lot of dirt to find the gold. And one must make a lot of effort, really, to develop wisdom, uh, to find sources where there really is wisdom, and then to integrate the views um, into our own current view and expand our view and refine it um, and continue seeking or at least being open. Uh, Accumulation of knowledge is not the whole of the path, obviously, but right view is critical. Meanwhile, it's all relative. (laughs) So he was very well trained by his parents. Uh, He was very sincere, like Sundaraka, right? Got some very sincere Brahmins, Um, in the community that went to Gautama you have sincere Brahmins that didn't Um, but um, he wandered through the 16 great provinces of India and coming to Banaras he went to the Exalted One in the Deer Park at Rishi and that begins that's the backstory and thus we go to the Sutta and uh, now we go to Tanisaro's translation Uh, I think we'll be able to get through it. We'll see how far. And what you'll see again is a it's a real long drawn out sutta and um, endless endless questions. Just a moment. I have to drink some tea. One of the pleasures of Taiwan is high grade uh, oolong tea. Um, Big Whole leaf green tea. Really wonderful, very perfumed and um, full of antioxidants and uh, rich yellow green uh, goodness. So, Savya Sutta, translated by Tanisaro. Thus have I heard, I, I prefer it that way. Thus have I heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying near Rajagraha in the bamboo forest, the squirrel's sanctuary. Now, on that occasion, Questions had been assigned to Sabiya the wanderer, by a devata, <laughs> meaning a, a higher density entity, who was a former relative of his. Quote, if any contemplative or Brahmin, when asked these questions, answers them, live the holy life in his presence. So he was given divine guidance to find someone who could answer his questions. And said, if you find someone who can, uh become his student and, and continue your spiritual development with him. Then, Sabia the Wanderer, having learned these questions in the presence of that Devata, went to those who had communities and groups, who were the teachers of groups, well-known, prestigious, founders of sects, well-regarded by people at large, i.e. Purana Kashapa, Makali Gosala, Ajita Kesakambalin, Pakuda Kachayana, Sanjaya Velataputta and Niganta Nataputta, the Jain, and asked them the questions. But they, being asked the questions by Sabiya the Wanderer, were unable to answer. Unable to answer, they showed anger, aversion, and displeasure, and even turned the questions back on Sabiya the Wanderer. So, (laughs) when you ask somebody uh, that you think can give wisdom and guidance uh, your questions, and they show anger, aversion, and displeasure perhaps they don't know the answers perhaps also you're bothering them (laughs) so it depends Uh, everything is not uh, one way and um, one manifestation like anger aversion, displeasure may come out of the distortion and ignorance of a teacher or out of uh, the fact that you really are um, greedy and um, um, obnoxious and rebellious (laughs) Or, or making trouble right So, one must be careful to determine uh, causation. Then, going on, the thought occurred to Savya the wanderer, these venerable contemplatives and Brahmins with communities and groups who are teachers of groups, well-known, prestigious, founders of sects, well-regarded by people at large, and then there's the whole list of those teachers, when asked these questions by me are unable to answer. Unable to answer, they show anger, aversion, and displeasure, and even turn the questions back on me, what if I were to revert to the lower life and partake of sensual pleasures? So he's thinking, maybe I should just forget about the renunciate life and become a worldly person again because I went around and around and they um, couldn't answer. I trust the devata or my inspiration that I should find someone who can answer them and then live the holy life with him. Um, Maybe I should just drop this whole thing. But then the thought occurred to him, there is still this Gotama, the contemplative. He has a community and group. He's the teacher of a group, well-known, prestigious, founder of a sect, well-regarded by people at large. What if I, having gone to him, were to ask him these questions? Then the thought occurred to Sabia the wanderer, Now, those venerable contemplatives and Brahmins, and there's the whole long list of them, they're old, elderly, aged, along in their years at an advanced stage of life. Elders, senior, long gone forth, meaning long having become renunciates, with communities and groups, teachers of groups, well-known, prestigious, founders of sects, well-regarded by people at large, even they, when asked these questions by me, were unable to answer. Unable to answer, they showed anger, aversion, and displeasure, and even turned the questions back on me. So how could this Gautama, the contemplative answer, when asked these questions? He's both young in age and newly gone forth, meaning... Into the homeless life, the renunciate way. But then the thought occurred to him: Gotama, the contemplative, <laughs> the devata, was inspiring him. You see. Then the thought occurred to him, <clears throat> in parentheses, from his uh, devata upstairs: Gotama, the contemplative, is not to be despised as young or treated with contempt. Even though young, he is of great power and great might. What if I, having gone to him, were to ask him these questions? So yes maybe he don't know anything because he's young and new to the homeless the spiritual homeless life but <laughs> he may well have the answers and be a great achievement so Zabia the wanderer set out headed for rajagaha wandering by stages he arrived where the blessed one was staying near rajagaha in the bamboo forest the squirrel's sanctuary on arrival he exchanged courteous greetings with the Blessed One. After an exchange of friendly greetings and courtesies, he sat to one side, meaning he's not not a troublemaker. As he was sitting there, he addressed the Blessed One in verse, because he's very well learned. Doubtful and uncertain, I've come desiring to ask questions. Put an end to them when asked them by me. Answer me one by one, in line with the Dhamma. Sabiya, said the Blessed One, you have come from afar, desiring to ask questions. I will put an end to them when asked them by you. I will answer you, one by one, in line with the Dhamma. Then the thought occurred to Sabia the wanderer, Isn't it amazing? Isn't it astounding? How? Even the leave, of which I didn't receive even a little bit from other contemplatives and Brahmins, has been granted to me by Gautama the contemplative. Even the leave, meaning um, the ability the, the uh, permission to ask the whole questions and get answers. Gratified, joyful, exultant, enraptured, and happy, he asked the Blessed One a question, which is four questions, when <laughs> the series, the the first of a series of five groups of four questions, the twenty. And the que- this first block is, and I'll just highlight what he's really asking and uh, move on to the next block. And uh, do commentary (laughs) later if we can, if we have time today and next time. Having attained what is one said to be a monk? In what way is one composed? And how is one said to be tamed? How is one called awakened? Answer, blessed one, when I've asked you. So, uh, what is one, what is the monk? What way is one composed? So, monk, and then how is one composed? How is one tamed? And how is one called awakened? So, monk, the true monk, the one who's composed, the one who's tamed, the one who is awakened. The Buddha replied having gone to total unbinding, having crossed over doubt by means of the path accomplished by himself, having abandoned becoming and non becoming, having fulfilled the task, further becoming ended. He is a monk. Everywhere equanimous, mindful. He harms no one in all the world. A contemplative, crossed over, limpid, He has no swellings. Ashravas, I think. He is composed. Actually, it was a different word, but it was uh, defilements and um, unwholesome states. No swellings. Whose faculties are developed within and without with regard to all the world Disenchanted with this world and the next, he waits his time, developed, he's tamed. Having evaluated all theories, the wandering on, dying and reappearing, having done away with dust and blemish, pure, he has attained the ending of birth. He is called awakened. So, again, the, the four is the monk, the one who's composed, the one who's tamed, the one who's awakened. Then, Sabia the Wanderer, delighting in and approving of the Blessed One's words, gratified, joyful, exultant, enraptured and happy, asked the Blessed One a further question, or set. Having attained to what is one said to be a Brahmin? In what way is one a contemplative, and how is one washed? How is one called a Naga? Answer, Blessed One, when I've asked you. Katama's very patient. Having banished, Gautama replies, having banished all evils, well-centered, stainless, firm in mind, gone entirely beyond the wandering on, independent, such, Tata, he is called a Brahman. Calmed, having abandoned good and evil, dustless, having known this world and the next, gone beyond birth and death, he is truly called a contemplative, such, that's the word Tata. Ta 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 having such is a very very subtle uh, Buddhist philosophy philosophical term, having washed off all evils within and without in all the world with regard to the theories of beings human and divine, he goes to no theory he's said to be washed, he does no misdeed at all in the world, having escaped all fetters and bonds, freed. He's everywhere, unattached. Truly, he's called a naga. Such. And so we've got four here. Uh, the one, the, the you know, ideal Brahman, and contemplative. The one who's said to be washed. The one who's called a naga. Naga is sometimes a snake spirit or dragon, um, and that's a whole <laughs> long discussion. There are actually a group in is an area in India called Nagaland interesting group. Then Sabia the Wanderer, delighting in and approving of the Blessed One's words, gratified, joyful, exultant, enraptured, and happy, asked the Blessed One a further question. Whom do the awakened call a field victor? In what way is one skilled and how is one wise? And how is one called by the name of sage? Answer me, Blessed One, when I've asked you. The Buddha replies... Having examined all fields, heavenly, human, and fields of the Brahmas, freed from the root bonds of all fields, he's truly called a field victor. Such. Having examined all storehouses, heavenly, human, storehouses of Brahmas, Brahmas means basically higher dimensional, probably <laughs> fifth dimensional beings or upper five, four and five, or even early six not not just normal devas but higher level devas higher dimensional positive freed from the root bonds of all storehouses he's truly called skillful such having examined all white flowers within and without one of pure discernment gone beyond dark and bright he's truly called wise such Knowing false and true dhamma, within and without, in all the world, he's worshipped by beings human and divine, having transcended snares and nets. He is a sage. Then, Sabia the Wanderer, delighting in and approving of the Blessed One's words, gratified, joyful, exultant, enraptured, and happy, asked the Blessed One a further question. Set of questions. Having attained what? Is one said to be an attainer of knowledge? In what way is one well-tested, and how is one persistent? Why is one named a thoroughbred, like horse? Answer, blessed one, when I've asked you. The Buddha, whose patience is inexhaustible, said, Having examined all knowledges, those of Brahmins, those of contemplatives, devoid of passion for all feelings, gone beyond knowledge. He's an attainer of knowledge. Having tested objectification and name and form within and without the root of disease, freed from the root bond of disease, he's truly called well tested, such. This name and form is Namarupa. Abstaining from all evils, gone beyond the suffering of hell, he's one with persistence. He, with persistence, exertion, is rightly called a hero, such one truly whose bonds are cut within and without, freed from all the root bonds of snares. Truly he's called a thoroughbred such. Then (coughs) Sabia the Wanderer, delighting in and approving of the Blessed One's words, gratified, joyful, exultant, enraptured and happy, it's a really good day for him, asked the Blessed One a further question. Having attained what is one said to be learned? In what way is one noble? And how is one a person of good conduct? Why is one named a wanderer? Answer, blessed one, when I've asked you. This is um, the last set. (laughs) This is the culmination. Gautama replies, Having heard, having directly known every Dhamma for the sake of direct knowing in the world, whatever is blameworthy or blameless, having conquered, free of doubt, released everywhere, everywhere without trouble, one is said to be learned. Having cut attachments and effluence, asuravas, karmic biases, you can say, knowing he does not come to lie in the womb, dispelling mud and the three types of perception. He goes to no theory. He is called noble. Whoever here has attained attainment with regard to good conduct, all skillful, who has learned the Dhamma unattached everywhere, everywhere his mind released. He has no irritation. He is one of good conduct. Avoiding whatever action there is that ripens in suffering and stress, above, below, and even all around in the middle, one who goes about comprehending, has he has put an all-around end to deceptiveness, conceit, greed, anger, namarupa. He is called a wanderer, attained to attainment then sabbia the wanderer delighting in and approving of the blessed one's words gratified joyful exultant enraptured and happy got up from his seat and arranging his upper robe over his shoulder and placing his hands palm to palm over his heart toward the blessed one praised the blessed one face to face with fitting verses and he said one deeply discerning You have crossed over the flood of darkness of the three and sixty views leading downward, dependent on the teachings of contemplatives, dependent on perceptions and words of perceptions. (laughs) Very subtle. You have gone to the end. You have gone to the further shore of suffering and stress. You are a noble one, rightly self-awakened. I would imagine that you have ended the effluence. Brilliant, thoughtful of abundant discernment, ender of suffering, you have brought me across. When you learned of my doubt, you brought me across my uncertainty. Homage to you, sage attained to the attainment of sagacity's ways. Free from rigidity, kinsman of the Sun, you are composed. I doubt I had before you have answered the doubt thee, the doubt I had before, you have answered one with eyes yes you are a sage rightly self-awakened you have no hindrances your despairs are fallen down cut from the stem cooled attained to self-control steadfast enduring in truth in your words naga of nagas great hero all devas including naradas and pavata's delight homage to you o thoroughbred man Homage to you, O superlative man, in the world with its devas. There's no one to compare with you. You, awakened. You, teacher. You, sage who has conquered Mara. You, having cut obsessions, having crossed over, bring this generation across. Your acquisitions transcended. Your effluence torn apart. You are a lion, free of clinging. Your fear and terror abandoned. As a lovely lotus is not smeared by water, you are not smeared by good or evil. Extend your feet, hero. Sabia venerates them, the feet of the teacher. And then he washed his feet or something. Uh, Then Sabia the wanderer, bending his head to the Blessed One's feet, said, Magnificent, Lord, magnificent. Just as if he were to place upright what was overturned, to reveal what was hidden, to show the way to one who was lost, or to set out a lamp in the darkness so that those with eyes could see forms. In the same way has the Blessed One, through many lines of reasoning, made the Dhamma clear. I go to the Blessed One for refuge, to the Dhamma and to the Sangha of monks. That's the triple gem, Sri Ratna. Let me obtain the going forth in the Blessed One's presence. Let me obtain acceptance into the Sangha. And uh, Gotama replies, anyone, Sabiya, who has previously belonged to another sect and who desires the going forth and acceptance into this Dhamma and Vinaya, meaning the teaching and the rules, must first undergo probation for four months. If at the end of four months the monks feel so moved, meaning it's a decision of the Sangha, they give him the going forth and accept him into the monk's state. But I know distinctions among individuals in this matter. <laughs> but I know distinctions among individuals in this matter, so he knows when an exception can be made. And I guess uh, Sabia was uh, of another sect or had association with other sects. Lord, if that is so, I am willing to undergo probation for four years. If at the end of four years the monks feel so moved, let them give me the going forth and accept me into the monk's state. <laughs> He's in it for the long run. There's no time, doesn't matter. Right? Whether it's probation for four years or four months, doesn't matter. He's uh, in for good. Then, Sabi the Wanderer obtained the going forth in the Blessed One's presence. Right there. He obtained acceptance. And not long after his acceptance, dwelling alone, secluded, heedful, ardent, and resolute, he in no long time reached and remained in the supreme goal of the holy life, for which clansmen rightly go forth from home into homelessness, knowing and realizing it for themself or himself in the here and now, he knew birth is ended, the holy life fulfilled, the task done. There is nothing further for the sake of this world. And so, Venerable Sabia became another one of the Arahants. Lovely, beautiful. Sutta. Uh, Gautama has endless patience. And um, it was understood at this time as not quite so clearly or collectively understood today, that one approaches a potential teacher, guru, um, very respectfully, very reverently, even though there's testing, even though he's trying to test and see if Gautama knows the answers to the questions. But there's a deep respect and a very formal approach Because this was basically guys in the forest and gals, and um, a teacher with a group around him or her, (coughs) and um, others come and go. The wanderers of other sects and groups come and go. And so, guru shopping was (laughs) going on in India, has been going on for millennia. And it's useful to go and see which teacher or teaching you feel resonates. But it's not just you feel resonates, right? (laughs) You feel it resonates, feel good. If it feels good, follow your bliss. Well, it's a little bit different. (laughs) You can do that if you want. Follow your bliss if you know what that means, if that's even possible. Or see if it feels resonant, like I just said. But he's testing in the way, uh, he already has a lot of discernment. He's already gone to great teachers in their own right who couldn't answer the questions. And yet they had sanghas the others Uh, it's a sort of I'm testing to see if you are morally and spiritually worthy of me of me giving my life to you that's really what it's about Um, and so the teacher has huge responsibility and the student um, should be uh, prudent and um, careful obviously respectful Uh, Today, I think, you know, it's different. We're kind of on our own. (laughs) And um, maybe there's no one around. Uh, There's no one that I would want to give my life to like this. But uh, this is a... uh, What we've got here, again, is um, depiction of... um, the ideal uh, attain... of final attainment. Depictions of final attainment. And... Useful for us to consider for ourselves how well we compare useful to compare these depictions with other Specially minded people around us claiming something teachers claiming something uh, anyone with their views and compare to these views of Gautama about how uh, the completed being lives how they what they know uh, where they're at in a sense So, uh, I'll just go through uh, basically what I'm going to do. We have only about 20 minutes here. Go as far as I can to explain the 20. Um, In the first set, what is a monk? What way is one composed? What is the one, how is the one, or how is one composed and tamed and awakened? And again we see a lot of terms that we've seen before Um, and I I think how deep Buddhist uh, philosophy goes so the goal is total unbinding this involves crossing over doubt but that doesn't mean holding views tightly (laughs) by means of the path one does it by oneself and so only self can heal the self only self you know, can liberate the self from illusory notions of self. Abandoned becoming and non-becoming. No longer reincarnating in form-based nor formless higher dimensions. Having fulfilled the task, the purpose of existence, right? The purpose of... The, the original thought is that... The original desire is that entities seek and become one. Said Ra, in late sixth density. Who's not finished yet with unity. When they finish sixth density, they'll be finished with self, uh, the unified, experience of unified self, no longer perceiving and therefore conceiving and believing that self is one. They will drop identity, they will drop memory. And so the, the one who's attained, the attainer of attainment, the one who's gone beyond all becoming and non-becoming, is beyond raw. clearly. <laughs> That's called atensity, density or out of the octave, or out of the... Birth and death, uh, 31 planes, seven dimensions. That is pretty clear to me. And so it's, whether we say self, no self doesn't matter, actually. But whatever one is, we may call self, even though we know it's not uh, substantive or um, permanent or solid. And uh, any substantive, separative sense of selfhood is illusory, of course. But Gautama doesn't hesitate from using the word self. And that's just important. People who are clear that words are empty uh, can use them as useful, expedient means. So he's abandoned becoming and non-becoming. He's finished seeking to become or change mental state or even go to formlessness or uh, experience nothingness or disillusion. Finished with those cravings. fulfilled the task, further becoming ended. That's the monk. And... The one who is composed is of everywhere equanimous, meaning equanimity. The mind is quiet, peaceful, clear, settled, always. Mindful, sati, harms no one in all the world. So the relationship between equanimity and harmlessness. Um, When the mind is really in peace, one doesn't get triggered to anger, aversion, and harmfulness. Seems to me. I'm not there, (laughs) but... Uh, I can imagine. And you can see, uh, I mean, Anishinanda raged a couple of times and Gautama said, you stupid fool, to somebody. Uh, Is that um, harms no one in all the world? Well, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Just because uh, there's an expression of anger, why? And so I think we can understand that sometimes um, a display of of fierce anger, uh, maybe just what the doctor ordered, for some people, for whom that is decrystallizing of their current um, obstruction or distortion. And such can be used or abused by a, a fake teacher too. Okay? But there is a very close connection between equanimity, peaceful mindedness, which is very much like shamatha. Samatha as uh, tranquility. And mindfulness, meaning I am aware, not attached. If I'm triggered, I'm aware that I'm triggered to an attachment, but seeing it, I'm detaching. Uh, a link between that awareness, that kind of present-mindedness, attentiveness, non-grasping or non-attached awareness, and equanimity, and harmlessness. The contemplative, that one who's contemplate, contemplating <laughs> reality, crosses over and is clear and has no swellings. And that's composure. Swellings again was um, usada, which is a word I've never seen before. De- defilements, passion, aversion, delusion, pride, conceit, and all that. And so, no swellings. Um, you can say that uh, distorted emotionalism is sort of like um, in, in inflammation in the mind going on. Then there's the one who's tamed. The faculties are developed within and without with regard to all the world. So faculties developed inside and outside in all the world. The note here is that one is dispassionate to sense faculties and their objects. Um, Dispassionate meaning detached, which is uh, the normal state, the the normal way of one who's um, in equanimity and uh, tranquility, more or less, or the more... Equanimity, tranquility, and harmlessness—the less um, attachment or grasping at uh, beauty and ugly, or the four, the eight worldly winds—as well uh, don't sway one. Disenchanted with this world and the next, <laughs> he's not attached to the next world either. He's not gunning for heaven. Uh, he awaits his time developed, and this is uh, very interesting. Tanasaro brings in a reference to an image or a theme or fully elaborated, um, Tag is, um, Teragata, the songs of the elders, Teragata, like, uh, Gata anyways, song, and Terra is elder. So, from Teragata 11 and fourteen, one, uh, another, I think Arahan had said, I don't delight in death. I don't delight in living. I await my time as a worker, his wage. I don't delight in death, don't delight in living. I await my time, mindful alert. That seems pessimistic for some, um, but not when the mind is um, deeply free of craving and clinging. Then, um, the definition of the one called awakened having evaluated all theories, meaning, uh, dug up a lot of dirt, the wandering on, dying and reappearing, uh, I'll explain, having done away with dust and blemish pure, attained the ending of birth, so obviously finish with the octave, uh, that's called awakened, awakened to reality beyond theories, uh, beyond wandering on, or reincarnation, uh, Dying and reappearing means uh, death and rebirth in another dimension. Uh, The wandering on is samsara, (laughs) is the cycle of birth and deaths in 31 planes or 7 dimensions. But uh, having evaluated all theories uh, is a very interesting phrase, is very interesting to, to pair with the freedom from wandering on. Freedom from wandering on means that certainly this one is finished with with rebirth, and that's way beyond, <laughs> you know, a sixth-density wanderer or something. It's really out of the octave. But um, you'll see, I see, in these replies by Katama, uh, a certain kind of quite radical detachment from view, from theory, from belief. And so, the difference between idea and belief, or dogma, the, he's not dogmatic. Um, But he's evaluated all theories or different views. And and it's really extensive when you get to other suttas, the extensive listing of other groups' views about self, about liberation, about reality, um, about path, the extensive review of other groups' views uh, in other buddhist suttas. Uh, Those things have been considered in the end um, theory is less important than practice and by not holding any theory not not holding even their own views too tightly like Gautama saying that the entirety of his teaching is a raft that's it, to be dropped on the other side it's uh, using the illusory to be free of the illusory one could say and that leads to freedom from the illusory <laughs> of the seven-dimensional octave I- in the illusion of limits, as Ra said, um, based on the vibratory concept of light, or vibratory light, which is a concept. Then, let's see how we're doing. All right. The next set of four questions, definitions or explanation from Gautama on how one may understand a Brahman, a contemplative, one who's washed and a naga. So, in terms of uh, a Brahman, now Tanisaro goes through in the next bunch of notes um, the alliterations between uh, different words in the Pali and the meanings, and there's a lot of that in the sutta, um, kind of uh, rhymes and literary flourishes in the way Gautama answers the questions and I'm not going to get into all of them but there is this is a very um, a finely uh, honed reply um, even in terms of the words the, the relationship between the different words chosen and their meanings so having banished all evils well centered, stainless, firm in mind, gone entirely beyond the wandering on, independent, such, meaning as it is. Um, the one who's free lives fully in reality beyond um, conceptualization, beyond subjective objectification, meaning there's no subjectivity, subjectivism, subjectivity, or sense of separative subject and object relations (laughs) way beyond psychological object relations this is uh, trans objective (laughs) relations or trans relational reality and so uh the brahman uh not brahmin but brahman maybe the high caste um is quite free um, because there's no attachment to what's uh, harmful. In fact, there's not even a, an attachment to what's helpful. And that's interesting. You see that. And that you see in the next verse, answer, having abandoned, he's calmed, okay, tranquility, having abandoned good and evil. Now, abandoning good and evil doesn't mean being evil, <laughs> the, it, it means being free. Of belief in the objectifications or conceptualizations we associate with definitions or the ways of good and evil so it's beyond duality right beyond moral duality beyond polarity beyond all polarized or dualistic um, fashioned experience perception conception experience and belief so by perception we develop conception By that, we have an experience perceiving that we conceptualize that's my experience, and thereby do I form belief. So, perception, conception, experience, and belief is in many ways the um, working, the establishing or fashioning of experience from catalyst, as Ross said. In that whole thing, um, the one who's free of attachment to view. There is right view, um, but it's not a concretized view. And it's right because it's not concretized, and it's right because it's not attached to either pole in, in the moral spectrum. Meanwhile, the person is not living evil. Right? People think you can think, oh, attached to gone beyond good and good and evil, having a band good and evil. He does whatever he wants. Um no. Or yes he does whatever he wants but it's not um, acting in good and evil and so free of good and evil doesn't mean free to do evil (laughs) and that's where you get your crazy yogi and some of the gurus and teachers in the West who um, seem to be acting out and by their fruits shall you know them so if the Sangha gets all screwed up or the ashram then it may well be that the teacher had some problem (laughs) and their crazy wisdom was just uh, distorted acting out, so dustless having known this world and the next gone beyond birth and death that 's the contemplative who 's such and so there are many of these answers now that 'll explain such um, living in reality as it is being beingness, then washed off evils within and without. <clears throat> Uh, In all the world, with regard to theories of beings, human and divine, he goes to no theory. That's the point. Free from theory. (laughs) Uh, Abandoning good and evil. Both. That's really uh, quite different than um, polarizing on the positive path. Polarizing sufficiently on the positive path can rightly, will lead to, um, freedom from... Uh, attachment to view right view is known as um, uh, expedient means expedient method thought, mind, incarnation is even known as um, valuable um, expedientially mm, or by its function that it helps us continue <coughs> in a way truth is um, that which supports heaven chakra evolution and falsity is that which does not so He's washed, perhaps because he's free of the stain of attachment to theory and view. He does no misdeed. Having escaped all the fetters and bonds, freed everywhere, he's unattached, called a naga, sort of like a dragon in the best sense of um, the mythology. You know, bold and noble and mighty and dignified and righteous, like that. No misdeed and free of fetters. see what the time is um i think i'm going to end there because uh, better not to rush and there are three more of these sets of uh four questions and answers so next week having done eight today we'll do 12 more next week picking up at um the uh third of these sets of questions where Sabia asks, "Whom do the Awakened call a field victor?" Very subtle <laughs> teaching there. Field victor, a victor, or a uh, one who was one who emerges victorious from a field. What field? Karmic field, uh, mind field, uh, reincarnated field, samsaric field. Hmm. So we'll look at that next time. Uh, what is a field victor? And how is that associated with SAGE? So, (laughs) I hope this has been helpful. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Um, So I thank people for being here. And um, the Devatas as well. So that'll be it for today. Next week we'll pick up um, in the discussion of the Awakened One as a field victor. So please take good care of yourselves. So be it. See you next time. Good night.